Welcome once again to Searching the Scriptures radio broadcast. We appreciate you tuning in again this week as we look into the Word of God here every week. And I'm Pastor Travis Alltop, and it is my privilege to have an open Bible before me today and yet another opportunity to expound a portion of the Scriptures. And as always, we invite the listening audience to get your Bible open and to follow along with us that you might see the truth for yourself. On the Searching the Scriptures program, we are interested in what the Bible says and not merely what someone says it teaches. And so we encourage the listening audience to get your Bible open and follow along with us. This is a ministry of Bluegrass Pike Baptist Church from right here in Danville, Kentucky. And we're glad you're tuned in today. Let's go to the Bible. This week we're going to study out of Luke chapter 24, the 24th chapter of the Gospel of Luke. We're going to begin reading in verse 13, and we will read down through this and make comments as time allows on today's program. Luke chapter 24. Now the context of what we are about to read uh, and uh, study today is uh, two disciples who are walking uh, by themselves uh, to Jerusalem and they uh, are talking among themselves and, and it's a particular day. It happens to be the day of the resurrection. It was the day that Jesus Christ got up from the dead. And uh, so the crucifixion and the trial of the Lord Jesus and the sufferings that he went through on a cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem just three days previously are the topic of these two men's conversation. So we will pick it up with them in verse 13. Luke chapter 24, verse 13, the Bible says this, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about threescore furlongs. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. The reason that the Lord Jesus could draw near to these two men is because he was alive and well. And uh, as the, the old uh, teen camp song goes, alive, alert, awake, and enthusiastic. And so the Bible says, as it came to pass there in verse 15, look at it with me. And it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, these two men, it says, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So in verse 15, we pick up a third person in the narrative here, and it's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ who is up from the dead, and he's been up uh, since the previous evening. And the Bible says in verse 16, but their eyes were holden that they should not know him. So they didn't recognize him, but he is walking along. The Lord Jesus is walking along with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Now verse 17, and he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth. And so here we have a, a very uh, almost humorous story. These two men are walking along the road to Emmaus together, and all of a sudden, down the other lane, here comes Jesus Christ, and he draws near to them and begins to walk along with them along the road. And as they walk, they're talking and communing and reasoning of the things that had happened in Jerusalem just a few days before, and the Lord asks them the question in verse 17, what manner of communication are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? He wants to know why they're sad. Now, how did the Lord know these men were sad? Well, he knew they were sad. Obviously, one of the great ways to tell if somebody's sad, it's not that difficult. You can look in their eyes. You can look in their face and tell that someone is discouraged and down. 
And my friend, can I tell you, we have a, a dilemma. We have a major problem, especially in America, in the realm of Christianity in this very area. You know what most preachers and pastors spend their time doing? They spend their time trying to console and encourage and lift up a group of believers that are walking around with their lip dragging the ground and their eyes downcast and their heart heavy and full of sorrow. Now, my friend, I am not here to tell you that all is rosy and well. There can be times in the believer's life and there will be times when you will have curveballs thrown at you and life can put some lumps on your head and put you into some positions that are difficult. The New Testament, uh, despite much of the TV preaching that goes on these days, the New Testament never promises the believer a bed of roses down here. Uh, and, quote, God has a wonderful plan for your life. The truth of the matter is, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is going to create a certain amount of tension in your life with the unbelieving populace around you. Uh, uh, the Bible says back there, over there in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, the Apostle Paul, speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Uh, when the people in Thessalonica received the gospel and were saved and had turned from their idols to serve the living God, the Bible says they received the word with much affliction, and yet they had joy of the Holy Ghost. My point is this. Uh, I understand that life can be uh, sorrowful and some difficult times will come and trials come and tribulations happen. But my friend, listen to me, a continual depression and a continual discouraged saint, listen, is a poor recommendation for the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. I understand that there are some heavy days, but my friend, even in the midst of sorrow, God can give his children a river of a joy that flows through their soul and heart, amen, that nothing can stop. Listen, you can be in the midst of trials and heartaches and, and uh, burdensome things and yet have the peace of God reigning in your heart. Classic example is the Apostle Paul and his sidekick Silas when they were lied about after they had ministered to a young lady there in Acts chapter 16. And through Paul's apostolic ability, he had cast out an unclean spirit out of this young lady. She was free from that devil. And uh, you'd think that everybody would be rejoicing. But the Bible says when the, her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they arrested the Apostle Paul and Silas and they drew him into the marketplace and they were down there lying about him. They had him uh, beaten and condemned in the street without a trial. They were uh, taken to jail. The uh, prisoner, I'm sorry, the uh, jailer thrust them uh, into the inner prison and their feet and hands were locked in the stocks. And they're down there in uh, the inner sanctum of that prison in solitary confinement, if you will. They weren't even with the general population. They'd been lied about. They'd been beaten until the blood run down their backs. And here they are in prison, and yet in the middle of the night, with all of that going on, listen, if that had happened to me, I know what I'd be doing. I'd be saying, hey, I get one phone call. Let me call David Gibbs over there at CLA, at Christian Law Association. I'll get somebody down here and rattle somebody's cage and dent somebody's fender. That's typically our response when someone challenges us, opposes us, or lies about us. Amen. It's like my one preacher friend said out of Houston, Texas, Pastor Danny Farley. Somebody came to him and said, Preacher, you wouldn't believe uh, what they're saying about me. They're telling lies about me. He said, Well, you ought to thank God. They could be telling the truth. Amen and amen. But the truth of the matter is, what I want to point out, these disciples here in Luke 24 are sad, and Jesus Christ wants to know what's made them so sad. Uh, he knew by what they were talking about. They were talking depressed and discouraged about the events that had just happened. Their faces told it all. Their countenance had fallen. And listen, 
the disciples, uh, followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, being depressed and discouraged all the time because of your circumstances is a poor recommendation of the faith. Now, I just mentioned Paul and Silas. Hey, what were they doing when they had discouragements and opposition and, uh, and troubles uh, land in their lap? Hey, they, the Bible says in uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 25, that at midnight they prayed and sang praises. Yeah, that's what it says. They sang praises unto God. You know what that comes from? You know why people sing? They sing because they're happy. Their hearts are filled with joy. And can I tell you that even in the midst of heartache, the, the joy of the Christian life can still flow through your heart and keep you up above your circumstances. And all I'm saying today is we're looking here at two disciples of Jesus Christ who are walking along, belly aching, grumbling, discouraged, depressed, and sad. Sadness is a, is a sorry recommendation for being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I had a, a young man recently a good friend of mine that accompanied me to a preaching engagement that I had. And uh, he played some music before I preached. And the place I was preaching was full. There was a couple hundred people that they had in this room. And I had a chance to address them and preach the gospel to them. This young man that was with me was uh, playing an instrument after he did his part in order to, uh, uh, when he, would, he was going to play his music after I was done preaching, but he just took a seat behind me. And I'll never forget what he told me that afternoon. He said, brother, he goes, I, it's rare that I get to sit behind the preacher and face the congregation and see who he's preaching to. And he said, how do you do it? I said, what do you mean? He said, man, he goes, I saw angry faces. I saw discouraged faces. I saw sleepy faces. He said, I saw depressed faces. He goes, now there were a few out there that were nodding their head in agreement. He said, how can you preach to a crowd like that? I said, well, just to, to be honest with you, I said, we got eight men, a crowd these days that are usually pretty down when you look out there. You don't see too often the glow of God and the joy of God on anybody's face. But you know, if you're a believer, you're a born again Christian. If you're not rejoicing in your salvation and your great savior, that's your own fault. You say, why? Uh, because Jesus Christ said the joy that he gave, no man taketh from you. So if your joy is not there, it wasn't because someone took it from you. It's because you're ignoring it or you're forgetting about it and you're uh, giving it away. It's not because anybody can take it from you. Amen and amen. And I'm just saying that these two disciples here, when Jesus Christ walks up next to them, he can tell they're sad. They've got sad hearts. And he says, hey, what, uh, what are you sad? They said, are you not a stranger? Because remember, they, said, are, they asked him if he was a stranger to Jerusalem because they were talking about the things that had happened. They're talking about the Messiah, the Lord Jesus being turned over to the uh, courts of this world and being falsely accused by their leaders, their religious leaders, and being condemned to die and dying a cruel, agonizing death on the cross. They were discouraged. They were sad about that. And here it is, Jesus Christ up from the dead. And he said, hey, what are you sad about? And when they tell him that, they said, have you not heard these things? And he, I love it. In verse 19, the Lord says, what things? And by the way, you know what that teaches me? That teaches me this. It teaches me that Jesus Christ desires to hear what's on our hearts. Amen and amen. If you've got a burdened heart, you've got a heavy heart, you need to unburden that load. You need to tell the Lord Jesus all about it. He already knows. He already knows what's troubling your heart. And he knew what was troubling these men's hearts. But he wanted to hear them pour their heart out to him. Boy, that's an encouragement. Amen. The Lord knows what things we have need of before we ask him. And if you've got a burdened heart, the way to unburden that heart, the, the invitation is to cast all your care upon the Lord 
because uh, he careth for you and he can sustain you. Cast your burden upon the Lord, Psalm 55, 22 says. Well, how do you do that? You do that by unburdening your heart in prayer. Jesus Christ will listen. All oh, that old hymn we sing often is, uh, what a friend we have in Jesus. And it says, all our sins and griefs to bear. It says, uh, what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. And it says, oh, what uh, peace we often forfeit. Oh, what pain we needless bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. And so as we've preached in times past and lessons past on this program, uh, you need to unburden your heart in prayer. But these men are sad. Jesus Christ wants to know what they're sad about. So we see their sad hearts. And he said unto them, in verse 19, let's read it again. He asked them when they're sad, well, what things have come to pass there in Jerusalem these days? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. In other words, they didn't believe the testimony of the women. And, you know, sometimes, can I tell you, there's, there's still a, a, an idea among a Christian men that they can't trust women. Let me tell you something. Men and women are two different kind of birds, if you will. And, but the differences are complementary one to another. My wife is not my enemy, amen. She's my best friend in life. And uh, I'm just telling you that while men and women are like FM and AM stations, nevertheless, we complement one another. And you men, amen, need not to be uh, discouraged because a woman walks with God. Amen. These women that came from the tomb early that morning were right. They were the first ones to witness about the Lord Jesus' resurrection. And uh, none of the men believed it. They sent Peter and John over there. And they found the tomb empty, but they saw not the Lord. That should have been enough to remind these depressed disciples to search their scriptures. It should have been enough for them to remember the words of the Lord when he said, after I am crucified and when I'm turned over into the hands of sinful men, I'm going to be spit on and scourged and beaten and crucified. And on the third day, I will rise again. Now listen, they should have remembered the words of the Lord. They should have searched the scriptures and they hadn't. They had forgotten what the Lord said. They had ignored the portions of Scripture that they uh, didn't like. And here they're discouraged and they're sad. And Jesus Christ is about to rebuke them. Look at verse 25. They've got sad hearts and Jesus is going to show you why they had sad hearts. Verse 25 says, Then he said unto them, O fools, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now there's the reason that men are depressed, discouraged, and sad. They have sad hearts because in verse 25, they have slow hearts. You say slow hearts for what? They're dull of hearing, slow of heart to believe. Oh, listen, we'll believe a lie in a heartbeat. Some of you out there all the time get sucked up into Facebook and uh, Google things and stuff that you find on the Internet. I don't know what it is, but people act like they come up to you with something and you kind of say, I don't know about that. And they say, oh, no, no, I read it on the Internet. As though that if you got it off the internet, there's some sort of law that says people can't post lies and false information on the information highway. 
And you know something that's amazing how people will grab hold of error. They'll grab hold of a heresy quickly. And they are always slow to believe the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And you know what that is? That just shows you how foolish sinful men are. And Jesus Christ calls them out. He listened to them talk. They were sad. They unburdened their heart to him. But he put his finger on the cause of the problem. These men, these disciples of Jesus Christ, were poor examples of Christ and poor recommendations for the faith because they were full of sadness. The reason their hearts were full of sadness is their sad hearts were slow-hearted. They were slow-hearted to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Let me ask you a question. Do you believe all of the Bible? Now, I've been accused of not believing all of the Bible because I'm what they call a dispensationalist, which is simply the, uh, the scriptural way to approach Bible study. God said in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, study. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There are proper divisions. And if those divisions or those dispensations are completely ignored, you will come out confused every time or you'll come out teaching some heresy. So don't give me this thing that, well, I just believe the Bible from cover to cover. Well, I do too, but I also believe the divisions and the clear distinctions that God has placed within the Scriptures. Nevertheless, I still believe the Bible from Genesis chapter 1 to Revelation 22. The question is not, do you believe it, believe it all if you're a dispensationalist? The difference is dispensationalists know how the whole Bible applies rather than just going through and pretending that, uh, amen, every verse is written to a Christian when it is not. Some verses are written to Old Testament Jews. Some are written in warnings to the uh, prophetically to tribulation saints. There's all kinds of divisions that you must honor if you're going to make sense of this blessed old book. But nevertheless, a true dispensationalist, even though he rightly divides the word of truth, believes all that is written in the law and in the prophets and in the Psalms. That is the very thing that our uh, example, our pattern, the Apostle Paul did according to uh, Acts chapter 24, he said there, he said that the way which they call heresy, so worship I, the God of my fathers. This is the testimony of the Apostle Paul about how he dealt with the Bible. He says, I confess this unto thee. I'm in Acts 24 verse 14. He says, this I confess unto thee that after the way which they call heresy, so worship I, the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. And I'm telling you, if you claim to be a Christian, a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're a fool if you don't believe all of the Bible. God didn't give us the choice of uh, what I call buffet Bible. A buffet is where you go in a restaurant and you go down the line looking there uh, under the glass at all of the different dishes and desserts that they have. And people go through there and they try a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and they get a whole lot of what they like and they leave out what they think they don't like. That is not the way a Christian or a disciple of Jesus Christ is supposed to approach the Word of God. Otherwise, you're going to have a sad heart. You don't need to be slow of heart to believe all that is written. And he says this. Look at back in verse 26. Jesus Christ is rebuking them. And he says, you have a sad heart because you have a slow heart. The Bible says in verse 26, he challenges them. He says, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And the Bible says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So my friend, that Old Testament, that verse right there alone tells me, 
that the Old Testament scriptures, all 39 books of your Old Testament, are loaded and filled with prophecies and pictures and types and shadows of the lovely Lord Jesus Christ. You can find him back there. And Jesus Christ opened up the scriptures to these men and he expounded the scriptures to these men concerning himself. Amen and amen. I think one of the marks of a great message is the fact that it will somehow always exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. You can preach on a myriad of subjects because there are a ton of subjects throughout the Bible to preach on. That And listen, a preacher that's God called will preach the whole counsel of God, not just the parts he enjoys, but the whole counsel. Even the parts that people typically don't enjoy have to be expounded. But I tell you what, the mark of good preaching, one of the great marks is the fact that no matter where you're at in the Bible, you can always find Jesus Christ and somehow apply him and lift him up in the eyes of the people. You ought to be able to find Jesus Christ in every page of this old book. And he says here, the Bible says that he told him, shouldn't Christ have suffered and entered before he entered into his glory? So they weren't wrong for expecting a king that would reign in glory. The problem is they had overlooked this suffering part and the suffering was required. The crown of thorns came before uh, the crown of gold. It's the cross before the crown and it's the same way for the Christian. Amen. And so right here we have them Piecemealing. These disciples are depressed because they have piecemealed the scriptures. They grabbed what they like and they ignored what they didn't like. And Jesus Christ said, you are slow of heart to believe all that is written. And so he begins to expound to them about his death and, of course, his resurrection. And you know something? Can I tell you this? Uh, you can believe the gospel in vain. Let's stop here for just a moment. If you would, would turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians 15 you'll find these words. And people have even asked me about these passages. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, these disciples that we're looking at in Luke 24 are sad. Why are they sad? They have sad hearts because they have slow hearts. Slow hearts, what's that? It's slow to believe all that's written in the word of God. And listen, I have been asked the question, what does it mean for a man to believe the gospel in vain? Because that is clearly described in 1 Corinthians 15. Look with me in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you. Now watch it. Unless you're saved by the gospel, unless ye have believed in vain. I've had people who were concerned come to me and say, well, what... Maybe I believed in vain. How do, what does it mean to believe in vain? Maybe I didn't believe hard enough. Maybe I didn't believe right enough. Maybe I didn't repent enough when I believed. And all these doubts that the adversary suggests to your heart and mind. Let me put those uh, doubts and fears to rest. And let me show you what Paul describes. He said here, the gospel is what they had, he had preached unto them. It's what the Corinthians had received. It's what they were standing in. It's what they were keeping in memory. It's what they were saved by unless they're not saved if they've believed in vain. Because he said, by which also this gospel, ye are saved unless you've believed in vain. Well, first of all, verses 3 and 4 tells you this. Here is the gospel. He says, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So remember, it was the Scriptures that Jesus Christ was expounding to these men with sad hearts 
And they were sad because they were slow of heart. They had slow hearts. What were they slow about? They were slow to believe all that the Scripture said. Well, they knew about his death, his sufferings, but they hadn't heard the good news. The good news is good news because, yeah, he suffered and died for our sins. But the best news is he got up from the dead. He was raised for our justification is what the Scripture tells us. And so it says here that the half of the gospel is he died, but the other half is he rose from the dead. He died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and he was buried. But the Bible also goes on to say that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. You say, preacher, you still haven't told us how a person can believe that message in vain. Well, you believe it in vain when you believe it like these disciples on the road to Emmaus had believed it. They'd only believed half the gospel. They didn't believe he had gotten up. They were unaware and unbelieving of his resurrection. And he said, you fools, you got to believe the whole Bible if you don't want to have sad hearts. But they were slow of heart to believe the whole Bible. Now look down at 1 Corinthians. You're in chapter 15. Look in the context, and Paul will define for you what it is to believe in vain. Are you afraid you've believed in vain? Well, you can find out. Look here in verse 12. He says, now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, and that's exactly what the gospel was that was preached the death, burial, and the resurrection. He said, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? Uh Uh-oh. So there were were people at Corinth who didn't believe that the dead came up at all. He says, but if if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, watch it, then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain. You believe in vain when you believe that Christ died, but you don't believe that he rose from the dead. He says down in verse 17, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. That's what it is to believe in vain. It's to believe that the Christ died on the cross, but to fail to believe that he rose from the dead. If that's your belief, then you're not saved. And you've believed in vain. I don't care what you believe about Jesus Christ. The, the belief And the trust that you must put in him is the fact that he died for your sins and moreover that he rose from the dead. I don't care what you believe about the Lord Jesus Christ. If you do not believe he rose on the third day, friends, you're still dead in your sins. And whatever you claim to believe, it's a faith that is in vain. It's a vain belief. He says, if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins. It says... Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now, it says, verse 20, is Christ risen from the dead. And listen, what those men had believed in Luke 24 was that Christ had suffered and their hopes had been dashed. But they failed to believe the best part. They failed to believe the good news. And what the good news is, is not only that Christ had suffered, but blessed be his wonderful name, he rose from the dead. The Old Testament gives credence to this. It prophesied of this. The women had given them a testimony and an eyewitness to it. The disciples had come back and said, yep, the tomb is empty. And Christ himself had told them that during his earthly ministry. Now, when he explained this to them, the Bible says, look at verse 31, Their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. I'm back in Luke 24, verse 31. Now that Christ has expounded his death and resurrection to these men, these disciples, look what happens. Verse 32, they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us? While he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures, 
Blessed be his wonderful name. Listen, these men had sad hearts because they were slow of heart, but now they have burning hearts, warmed hearts. And I'm telling you, there's nothing that will warm the believer's heart than meditating on the truth of the fact of the gospel that Christ not only suffered and died in your place on the cross, but blessed be his wonderful name, the hope we have, the rainbow of hope that God hangs out over our darkest days says that our Savior didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And my friend, the greatest enemy in life, the thing that men fear more than anything else is death itself. But I'm telling you, believer friend, if you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you need not fear death any longer because our Savior took the sting of death away because he died for us, but he also rose again for us. And if you've trusted that, you can stand on it. You can rest assured you've passed from death to life. If you've never been born again, why wouldn't you receive Jesus Christ today? The one who died, was buried, and rose again. May God help you to see it, and may you trust him even now.